Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility, and through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth, or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off-topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. G'day everyone, welcome to the Sweated Out Show. I hope you're having a beautiful day and I hope your day hasn't been too stressful. Today we're talking about stress. You see, chances are you are stressed without knowing it. We don't have an accurate grasp anymore on what stress is and how stress presents in the body. We're so used to being in a stressed state that we're mistaken the feeling of being stressed thinking that we're not stressed. (laughs) We think we're not stressed when in fact we most certainly are. And who can blame us, right? I mean, life in 2021 is extremely fast-paced and We're brought up and we're constantly being told through external sources that we need to keep up, we need to stay busy and get the kids going and life's just really busy and it's a long way from the pace of nature that our bodies operate properly at. And we don't take time to properly address the stresses in our life when they do come up. Take a recent argument you had with someone, maybe a spouse or a friend or a colleague, think back to that moment. How does it feel? Maybe a knot in your stomach or just some general discomfort. Did you truly resolve that argument or is it still to some degree an open matter? The old saying goes that arguments should never last overnight. The idea that we need to forgive and forget and not sleep and ruminate on it. Is this the case for that recent argument? And for the argument to be truly resolved, it needed to have ended with a feeling of love forgiveness and compassion an understanding of each other where you're at and the ability of both of you to let go if the argument didn't end like that then this stress is still playing within your neurocircuitry without you realizing now through life we have thousands of micro traumas like this where after the interaction be it physical or mental maybe you overextended a knee joint or had an argument with someone We don't sit in that experience and work to resolve it fully. We keep using the knee when we should rest it and we continue to interact with that person even though that argument wasn't fully resolved. Our brain then continues to play out these stresses without us realizing. These stresses build up in our body and over time cause chronic conditions and symptoms. Now think back to that recent argument you had. Could a quick phone call or a meetup or a loving conversation be all that's needed to clear the air? If so, make that call and reduce your stress. Stress sits above all health fundamentals in that if you're stressed, it will undo all the good that you're doing in your health and your life. Understanding how the body interprets stress will better help you regulate and be aware of your stresses. It's time to take responsibility of whatever ongoing stress you have in your life. 
And having an understanding of how stress builds up in the body and what we can do to minimize stress in our life is somewhat of a speciality of our guest today. Today's Sweated Out guest is Nick Moss. Nick is an integrative health practitioner and educator based in Melbourne. He's a functional neurologist, kinesiologist, and neuromuscular therapist, plus a lot of other things, but the list is quite long. This is actually Nick's second episode on the podcast, and it was a real treat having him back on. This is a fascinating conversation where we talk about how our body perceives stress so we can learn to address stress as it comes up and not let it become chronic. We go deep on primary and secondary dysfunctions within functional neurology. And after getting nice and technical on the inner workings of the brain and the body, we bring it right back up and riff high level about the importance of staying in our power as human beings as we all navigate the current state of the world. I loved this podcast so much. I feel like there's so much good stuff in here. I certainly learned something. I think we're all going to learn something from this one. Nick was on fire. Learning more about the way the brain perceives our environment is truly engrossing to me, and I hope it is for you too. And so I give you today's guest, Nick Moss. Nick Moss, mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. People ask me about you and they say, so what does Nick do? And I say, well, he's a functional neurologist. He does a bit of Bowen therapy. He does kinesiology. When I've spent time with him, we end up talking about emotional stuff, but he's also like so into the strength and the body and how it moves and all these kind of technical physicalities of the human body as well. And I just, you just do so much, right? And, And so for me, it's a real treat to have you on to hopefully share just a small percentage of what you have in your brain. So thank you so much. Thanks, mate. It's always a pleasure to be here with you and uh, spend some time with you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, cool. You know, we were just talking off air about the current state of the world and when we're recording this, Australia is in lockdown in various states and there's just a whole bunch of stuff going on and Mm. stress just kind of gets turned on in our life all of a sudden. It's, it's difficult to manage sometimes, right? Yep. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what's actually happening in the brain when these stress responses come up and how does that actually start to impact us physically and emotionally? Yeah, look, it's a great question considering the times that we're in. I mean, look, human beings have always been exposed to stress since time immemorial. Stress, I probably didn't call it stress, it's stimuli, information. So... Everything around us is just raw information. The nervous system decodes this information electrically in the form of signals. And so signals can be either high or low, and they can be perceived as either threatening or non-threatening. And that's really what it comes down to. So a lot of people think of stress, and when you say, are you stressed? And they say, oh, no, I'm not. Everything's great. Oh, I'm feeling really good. You know, life's great. You know, but underneath the surface, how do they know that they're not? physiologically stressed. So physiologically stressed, we would generally associate more towards the fight-flight mechanism, which most people have heard of these days. So in our bodies, we have a, a, an autonomic, which is a subconscious nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, and it has two major branches. That's the sympathetic, which is the fight-flight, 
and then it has the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest. It is a little bit more complex than that, which we'll go over as well, where there's actually two different branches of the parasympathetic side. But generally, where um, the nervous system is decoding the, the raw information around you and inside you as well, and determining, usually based off past experiences, whether that stimuli is a threat to your survival or not. And if it determines that it's a threat to your survival, it will switch you either into a fight or, or flee, or it may even immobilize you as well. It may even immobilize and you shut you down. So all this is happening way before you're even consciously aware of it. We think as humans that we are in much more control than we're actually, we actually are, meaning that we're much more consciously in control of the physical happenings and the running of our body. We're not. The same systems that run our body, that run our heart rate, our breath rate, our digestion, all that sort of stuff, these are the same systems that are get, getting switched on and off in response to perception of raw information around us as, as, as a threat to our being. So it's really key and it explains a lot of the reasons why people respond to stress in different ways. And there are so many factors that feed into that, but definitely your previous experience and exposure to stress and the way the level of robustness of your nervous system to withstand uh, stress will determine how you respond to it. Is it the amygdala that's remembering those previous experiences to certain stresses and how you responded to it? Or is it other parts of the brain? So the amygdala is like the switch. So the amygdala will either switch you into this defensive reactionary, it's a threat mode, or it will not. Okay. So it is referencing a lot of past experience. So it's actually quite a bit more complicated neurologically than that. So you have the cerebellum that's involved in the, the motor action. So the way you responded to previous stresses, that then communicates with the basal ganglia, which then has your stored motor programs in response to any stimuli, whether that's walking or running or fleeing. Those three are working together. Then you have the posterior parietal cortex, which is more the association cortex. So that's the area that goes, well, it happened at this stage. And it's more references sort of like um, your physical state rather than like what's actually happening out there. So it's more like this type of a sensation, whether it was, a, say it was a loud sound, right? The last time you heard that level of sound at that decibel, what was it? Was it a lion? Okay, if it was a lion, then your amygdala is going to be quite sensitized to thinking that any sound that comes within that decibel range is going to be a lion. So it's going to, with its beautiful intelligence, switch on, and that switches on the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which starts a flood of hormones that get you starting to run away. Or if it's sufficient enough, you may just drop down in that spot and just be immobilized, which is, again, a survival strategy itself because generally if it is a lion, let's just use the lion analogy again, a lion doesn't really like limp prey. So if there is a lion coming towards you and you drop and you immobilize, everyone's seen a cat, they have it like, you know, a, a mouse and once it becomes limp, they sort of throw away and get disinterested. Same thing. Oftentimes the mouse is employing the, the same strategy. So essentially what happens is you go limp or you just run away. Okay. So sound is a big one. So it can be coming in from, uh, that's just using like a really dramatic scenario, but it could be just someone yelling at you. It could be your parents. Uh, you might've had um, an angry father or something like that, that was always yelling at you, being aggressive. And so that has sensitized your amygdala to be hyper reactive 
with all these other parts of the, the brain and the, and the neurology. So a smaller input, which seems just similar to that or is going to be like that, or you may be picking up also social cues from people, then you're going to start this physiological cascade of response to stress. So you're already stressed before you even know why you're stressed, which is where you know anxiety comes in because then you start to think about, well, hang on, you're cognitively trying to think, why am I actually stressed? Like there's nothing actually going on. Or maybe there is, and maybe you're trying to associate everything. Well, it's because I that person didn't respond to me in the way that I want. But really, your underlying physiology um, is is just threatened. Yeah, the, my brain immediately goes to like, as parents, how do we consciously kind of do what we need to do so these things don't get programmed in at that early stage of life? You know, or is it? We don't even get a choice because it happens so quickly. There's a loud bang and then the kid gets scared, but it was just the door slamming. But then is it a matter of like how we react to that as parents? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can't help these things. Life happens. So you want a robust child. If you have a robust child, they have a robust nervous system. If you have a robust nervous system, these um, threat systems aren't on the alert so much. So that can be developed at a young age. So Kids are going to hit their head. They're going to have things happen that scare them. You know, for instance, if I raise my voice to my little one, it, it's quite scary for her. And I have to then, what I have to do afterwards is hold space with her and just get that connection back, eye to eye, face to face, explore how she's feeling with about it, let her say what she needs to say. And then you kind of close the circuit off. And it doesn't mean that there isn't any trauma from that. Um, but or, or like, because you just don't know how people are responding or little ones are responding. Uh, but there's closure there, and that closure creates like what's called a um, secure attachment. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we can talk a bit about like the Hans Selle's like three stages of stress and how that works. Because what you were just alluding to to me is like, if we don't deal with the trauma properly and close it off, like you said, that's when it kind of sets in and becomes chronic over time. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, talking about Hans Selye, he talks about the three stages of stress. So we have an alarm. That could be just the exposure to that threatening stimuli, which is perceived as, as a stress. So a lion roaring, chasing after you, your dad yelling or whatever it is. Uh, so then you, you're, because you've now, you know, the amygdala is turned on and uh, then you've started that hormonal cascade. So you do that to deal with this threat. So you either want gone into your sort of default programming. So you've 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 gone aggressive, or you've run away, or you've immobilized, and then you need to now come back to towards homeostasis. So that's we move into sort of stage two, which is like a false homeostasis. It's not really the same homeostasis you had before that particular alarm. So then you're in a state of compensation. That's fine. The, the, the human body is is a master compensator. Pretty much everyone lives in stage two because we've all been exposed to stressors. But what happens when you start to accumulate more alarms and you gain more compensation? So more stressors, more exposure, whether they're micro or macro. Um, obviously, big ones have a, a longer echo through the nervous system. Uh, but if you have often, I find this a lot in clinic, people have who had lots of trauma accumulate more trauma. They just tend, tend to attract it. And that's where we can go a bit more into quantum mechanics and the human biofield and all that sort of stuff. But staying on, staying on track here, you accumulate more micro traumas and then you get more compensation, more compensation, more compensation, and you will compensate for around 20 years or so until eventually your body, your nervous system just goes, look, you're not changing your behaviour, you're not dealing with that stuff. 
when that person yelled at me, that really hurt me and I need, I need to let that go. Um, so if you, if you just sort of push things down, it still is sort of circulating uh, through your nervous system as an electrical signal, but it's, it's, push, it's like pushing you out of this balanced state. So you can still remain balanced on the outside, but on the inside, you're not. And then eventually you'll end up with some sort of chronic condition, stress-based condition, whether it's digestive dysfunction. So digestive dysfunction is a big one. So neurologically what's happening with digestive dysfunction is often people give themselves digestive issues, gut pains and IBS and leaky gut, all that sort of stuff, because they have unprocessed mental trauma. So the way the nervous system works is we work in primaries and secondaries. So we always have a primary uh, dysfunction and a secondary dysfunction and we have all of us have lots of them but some of them you just won't see because they're again we're in that stage two compensation we can remain pretty balanced and they'll only start popping up when we start moving in more exhaustion phase what's a what's a primary and secondary dysfunction okay this is moving into real functional neurology sort of stuff everything the nervous system does is is is, is normal like it's a well there is no real dysfunctions there's just compensations right so there is a pathway between the gut and the brain through the vagus nerve. If we've experienced a trauma that is too stressful for us to actually deal with, it's locked away in the subconscious circuits, which is the like sort of the amygdala is hypersensitive to it, but it's not really expressing all the time. So what the nervous system does is it creates a buffer, which is called a secondary, which takes the load. And so the human nervous system will always prefer to stimulate the secondary rather than the primary because the primary will actually bring you out of balance. The stimulating the secondary, this is pretty interesting stuff, will keep you in balance. Okay. Right? So they'll stimulate the secondary, give themselves gut issues, and I'm pointing to the mind, I'm pointing to the head. Not, I'm not saying all emotions live in the head, but it's like a limbic dysfunction. It's like a limbic, uh, maybe it's a memory, maybe it's a, it's a series of memories, traumatic event. They're not dealing with it, so they'll give themselves some other physiological dysfunction to take the load. Wow. <laughs> okay, and I'll, I'll give you an example of how this would look in structure. So right. if I'm watching someone move, the nervous system controls your structure and your, and your posture. So if someone has, say, uh, like they've got lower back pain and uh, it's on their right-hand side, right? So the, the primary dysfunction might be on the right-hand side and so they'll, they'll make a secondary over here. So they'll often lean to that side because they don't want to go over here. Because if they stimulate it, <laughs> you know, they'll create some weakness or some more dysfunction. So they'll stimulate the secondary. So you can, if you really know how to look at someone's um, posture, uh, you'll see where they don't want to go and where they want to go. And where they don't want to go is where they're vulnerable. And where they're vulnerable is keeping them feeling less robust. So what I do as a functional neurology practitioner, whether I'm working with the mind or the body, we, we dialogue with the nervous system and ask it where, where these primary dysfunctions are and um, ask permission if we can recalibrate it. Here's problem A, here's problem B. We fire a reflex, which is like a reset button, and then the brain goes, cool, I understand that now, boom, return to homeostasis, and it happens like that straight away. And it, it always does, but whether that impacts your symptomology, because symptomology is different to functionality because often we have one symptom that has many many of these neurological imbalances feeding into it they could be physical structural they could be digestive they could be 
um, emotional as well, even energetic. We all have this. I've seen it many times. And uh, just because you are symptom-free doesn't mean you don't have these dysfunctions. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. It's normal. There's nothing wrong with it because the system is perfectly built to withstand stress. However, we live in a society that does not stop. So how the hell is the nervous system going to return itself to homeostasis? You know, sleep. So, like, don't even come and see someone like me. Just bloody sleep. Sleep, uh, rest, lounge around, put your feet on the earth, get some sunlight in your eyes, and work way less, four hours a day, you know. We've got everything we need to be able to return to homeostasis. And here's what happens with those dysfunctions. So you might have, say, you know, the average person would probably have, say, thousands. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't freak out. Nothing wrong with that. They won't all be expressing. They can't all be expressing or you wouldn't be able to function. But just say you have, like, a few hundred major ones and they're giving you all sorts of symptoms. You can just get your life back into balance where you're sleeping eight hours a night, you're meditating, whatever sort of things to down-regulate, get it into this parasympathetic, less reactionary state, eating good foods, you're doing some fasting or whatever it is, anything that the combination of good things that keeps you in balance. And a lot of those dysfunctions, they won't totally disappear, but the volume on them will go way, 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 way down. So they will not need to express. The only reason they will need to express is if you have started to not listen to your body, listen to the signals of the body, like I'm tired, I, should, I shouldn't be doing this, but you're getting external pressure from your boss or whoever it is, you've got to do it. You've got to meet those targets, which is forcing, you're fighting nature. You are nature. So listen to the signals. If you're in your head a lot, which is, you know, we've been programmed as a society to, to not believe our own body, what will happen? You'll get the symptoms and these dysfunctions will arise up. Oh, man, that's fascinating and just on point you know and last uh i had the last four weeks off right and i did a three-week fast on water and then i had a week of refeeding and, and whatnot and you know i was saying to a few people yeah i had three weeks off uh, and they say what do you do well uh, uh we kind of laid there and we had our eyes closed for i don't know including sleeping probably 16 hours a day, <laughs> you know, because the rest of the time during the day we're lying there, eyes closed and we're sipping water and we're reading some books and we're relaxing and I'm looking at the same palm trees for three weeks in a row and I'm getting some sunshine and I'm going out and I'm walking barefoot on the grass, right, doing our things. And when I explain that to people, to a lot of people, they say, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> you're out there, mate, you know. I don't know how you do that and then still run a business and do all your things, but you're, you're out there. However, I challenge that and I say, well, like, really? Because the pace of life now is so insane. It is so far away from nature, like you said, and we are nature. And do you know the most challenging part of a fast is actually the first, like, five, six days because you slow down. You're not looking at phones, you're not working, you're not doing anything. Everything just kind of slows down. Time starts to move a bit kind of faster and you're in flow with everything a little bit more. And you slowly come back to the pace of the body and you realize how far away from that pace you were, right? Yeah. And so yeah. what I say to people is like, yeah, it was three weeks of rest, but I mean, really, it's nothing because the rest of the year, it's just this high 
pace of life that is 2021. And, you know, it's no wonder that everyone has these things breaking down in their bodies and that all of these stage one, stage two, you know, different compensations and things are, are coming up and, and resulting in these symptoms because yeah. we're just going all the time, you know, and the body's just never getting a chance to fall into that homeostasis. And I love what you said too around like, you just sleep and eat and move a bit more and get some light in your eyes, get some tryptophan building up in the back of the retina. Like do these things and just find more of that balance and that's how we can start to just wind the volume down. 100%. So one thing that was coming up was about just this long list of emotional traumas and then oftentimes we suppress those and then they can manifest, for me, they manifested in gut issues is the brain seeing emotional and physical trauma as the same thing or is it kind of one after the other? How does that kind of work? So limbic system is the emotional processing system, right? So people always associate it with emotions. However, the amygdala is involved in every single movement that you take, every single one, right? Mm. So not just emotions because it has to associate whether any movement has a threatening, can you do that movement basically? which is why you see people who are in physical pain, they, they sort of move really slowly and rigidly because there's un, they're under threat. And so their limbic system is hyperactive. But, yes, if you visualise something uh, in your own mind, the, the neurology then sends a motor command even through nerve impulses into the same muscles that would need to be activated in order to na- act out what you're imagining. Is that why sometimes you flinch when you're sleeping? Like I was dreaming the other day, I was skating and then like my foot kicked. <laughs> so is that what's going on? Like the brain is kind of like, oh, I'm doing that. So it's activating. Yeah, look, it must have been sufficient enough to, to be able to bleed into your conscious because usually there's like a gating thing in dreaming where uh, parts of the, the, the central nervous system sort of shuts off the feeding into the, um, to the, to the uh, peripheral muscles. But must just bleed in. But even if you're just visualising something, if you're, that's why people, when they, you know, anxiety is, is, has, creates physiological fatigue. If you're thinking a lot, um, you, your, your, your muscles and, and glands and, and organs and everything will act according to what you're thinking about. So you've got this constant hormonal fluxing going on and the blood sugar, you know, changing up and down as well. Because obviously more threatening a stimuli is the more sympathetic fight flight you have to be in, which, you know, throws your whole blood sugar system out of balance. And blood sugar has been linked to like many, many conditions. Yeah, it's all connected, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sleep, everything like that. Well, migraines, for instance, is like blood sugar and hormones, but then what's creating that? Like we know it's a blood sugar and hormone thing, but what's the trigger? You know, is it a physical trigger or is it an emotional and really what's the difference? There is no difference. There's always an emotional and a physical uh, component to everything that you do. However, I'm very lucky in what I do using kinesiology, functional kinesiology or functional neurology, we can ask the nervous system, okay, out of all these dysfunctions, where do we start? How do you go into the system? You know, that's the hardest part being a practitioner is where do you start? Turns out the body is always telling you exactly the, the number one thing that's out of balance or the number one things, right? For instance, the cranium, the skull, has certain areas on it which will be uh, tight and restricted depending on um, the type of system and organ, which is amazing. Can you feel that on someone's head? 100%. Wow. So, for instance, um, 
in this temporoparietal suture right here, which is on the side of the head, if there's tension here, it's actually indicative of a lymphatic blockage on the same side of the body, right? So I'll often do that with people like, you know, because people always have so much going on, but it's got to find an in, you know, and it depends on the condition. So if they've got like fatigue or brain fog or something, I'll be looking, maybe it's lymphatic and I'll push in here and they'll be like, ow, right? And I can feel the restriction. And I'm deliberately pushing in hard because I want to see if they go, ow, right? I'm not trying to inflict pain, but, I'm, but if, it, if there's nothing going on, I'll just, they'll just go, yeah, no, there's nothing there. Um, so then what will happen is I'll go down into the body and then I'll prod through the, um, the lymphatic nodes and, and sure enough, one of them will be painful and I'll literally, like one behind the knee, I'll release that, come back up here and it's gone. No more sensation here. Then we'll feel around the other areas and then now they've got something going on behind the mastoid and that's indicative of organ uh, dysfunction on the same side as well. So then we'll just treat that because it's like you've gone, okay, number one, get that, cool. Let's bring up the next most important thing. So that's one way to work uh, physiologically. And with the emotions, if, if someone, I can tell, you can tell if someone has emotional stuff anyway, but we've got certain indicator points we can use. We can put someone's hand on their head and, you know, if that turns a weak muscle strong or a strong muscle weak, then we know that there's some emotional stuff that needs to be cleared and we can clear it out of the nervous system sometimes in as quickly as uh, 30 seconds. But what I mean by clearing it is that you, you, you enable the nervous system to integrate it, to integrate that thing. And people always have this sort of physical response. So that's when you know that you've cleared this thing because this uh, cleared it or integrated the emotion and therefore you've then taken a whole heap of stage two compensation out of the way and now they can return closer to a balanced homeostatic state. The thing that gets me though is it almost sounds too good to be true to be able to say like, oh, we've just cleared that thing which might have been hindering this person for a decade you know, in like 30 seconds. Is that because to the brain, like, it sounds like there's like a, a switch almost to just clear some of this stuff. Is that always there the is, case? Like, it is always the case in terms of clearing that individual dysfunction. Yes, yeah. But sometimes when I'm doing clearance, some people are not ready. It's always individualized. But um, if they're ready, it's the right time. And it can be 30 seconds. But, you know, does that mean that that person will feel instantly better? Sometimes, Yes. Sometimes no, because again, like I say, this is just functions or compensations that we're clearing here. But if someone has many, many compensations feeding into this one symptom or often a bunch, then you're going to have to clear quite a few of these. And then there's going to be also integration time of the nervous system. Everyone integrates. Uh, that's why like some people, uh, if I'm doing a session with someone, I often find actually, especially if they've got a lot going on, they need like two to four weeks between sessions because in that time, they're actually balancing, their nervous system is still calibrating from that session in two to three weeks later. And you can feel it. I, having experienced that myself, you know, you can sometimes feel it physically, you can sometimes feel it emotionally. It just knows what to do. And so what we're trying to do is we're just showing the nervous system where the problem is and it's doing the rest. It knows exactly what to do. It knows a hell of a lot more than I ever would about. So your individual system knows everything it needs to do. And the question is, will everyone always asks that. Is this going to be straight away? Well, it can, but also it might not be. And it also might not be the exact therapy that you need right now. Like everyone needs different things at different times. There's no one thing that does everything. I wish there was, but there's not. Let's talk about integration for a second because I think that's a really interesting point. So 
let's say we do some work and you clear a bunch of things on someone. Like, what if they go back out and start putting new traumas in? You know, like, how do you kind of stop that from happening if you, you're going back into a really stressful environment? How does that then affect the integration? What I can do is try and find the highest level compensations and clear them. So you take the most amount of load off the system. So it becomes robust just from that process. However, they still, of course, need to change. If their lifestyle has got them into this position, if they don't change their lifestyle, they're going to accumulate more for sure. But we're always going to accumulate more. So like, how do you prevent that? Number one thing I want to try and teach people, and this is what some of my upcoming training is going to be about, is being able to tune into themselves and realize they get their own barometer. So because people just are not aware of how out of balance they are. And so if you start to tune in, which as you know, I know you do this, it's a process that takes time. It's, it's intuitive and, it, and you get better at it as the more you do it. So every person needs to start to develop that. I'll always give someone just the top two things that they need and that's always individualised to them as well. So whether that's earthing or, you know, we'll manage sleep, focus on sleep, whether it's a particular supplement or food or, or diet or whatever they need to do, get them back into balance. The system's going to balance themselves anyway and uh, in their own mind they'll, they'll start to get a behaviour change as well. We often don't get the credit for it, which is fine, don't need to, but it just because it happens so innately, especially if it's lifestyle issues that have got them into this uh, thing, into this state, they need to change that, but we can't do it all at once. You know, little change, one or two things every time and just implement that and make sure it's those things that you're going to do, um, not because you feel like you have to, because if you feel like you have to, you're not going to do it, but if it works for you. So that, there's a massive art in that as well, which is um, trying to manage that. And there's different personality types that respond differently as well. So, yeah, it's like letting go of control and then just working through the layers. They have to be changing something each time. So they will get one or two new things, whether that's a movement. Sometimes I might even get people to read a book if they need like a special a particular book which has a message in it that is something that they need to learn for themselves. Um, it's Again, it's all individualised. Because I've been doing this for a while now, I tend to uh, have a pretty good hunch of what they need based on experience and, and intuition and stuff like that. So if there is an emotional thing, they might even have an affirmation that they need to do, which helps the clearing even more. Or they might have a breathing exercises, which helps them manage stress. Yeah, so. One thing I always say is that wherever we are at with our health, that is the expression of how we've been doing everything in our lifestyle up until that point, mm. right? So when we start to want to heal and we go and see someone like yourself, or we do a fast or a juice fast, we start to eat more cleanly or whatever it may be, then when we start to do that work, we need to change the way that we're living because otherwise we're just going to continue to get the same result. 100%. You know? Yeah. And last time we spoke, we spoke about fundamentals. <laughs> the fundamentals for a reason. It's fundamentals, you know. The fundamentals underpin all mastery and excellence in any field. Or I think people forget that they just, like living life is a, like people are just running their programs. You know, the programs of what you do, you do this, you go to this school, you go to this job, you do this, you watch the footy, you have the beer, you go to the pub. You know, it's just a program. Now, to be healthy, you have to take responsibility for yourself. Now, once you're healthy then, you have a, a different mission and that different mission is usually taking responsibility for the world around you. 
So we now know sometimes why some people keep themselves sick, keep themselves small. You know, we need to get out of the programs. So let's unplug from the matrix a little bit. And at the start, we touched on bringing back our own personal power and really embodying our own personal power and remembering that we have a choice. Everything is a choice. Mm. Changing our lifestyle is a choice. Going to see Nick Moss is a choice. Implementing the things that we get told from someone like yourself is a choice. And um, now more than ever, I think we need to be reminded of that. You know, the way that we respond to our environment and things going on in our life, it's all a choice. Uh, and we need to take that responsibility back. Uh, mm. Like I said, more than ever, now is the time to be reminding people of that. And I know you said that's been coming up in your clinic a lot, and I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about that. Look, now more than ever, if we look around the world, I think this is a very key issue because what's happening all right now, whether you believe whatever you believe in, you're allowed to believe in whatever you want, that's fine. But you cannot deny that uh, the world is under the thumb of, you know, authorities, right? How does that happen? If you're not self-governed, you're going to allow someone else to govern things for you. And if you're self-governed, you know the difference between right and wrong. You can take responsibility for yourself. You know what is right and wrong. You're not going to cheat someone because you know that's wrong. It's really basic. It's the fundamentals, right? So how does this happen? Well, there are elements that have deliberately um, brought people out of their power, their own individual power. But again, like you say, there is still a choice to that. So you can wake up at any time and you can decide to go down a different path, which is to start to make yourself more self-sufficient and, uh, and govern yourself and take, take charge of your own health. So you can be doing all the right things for health, like all, all the stuff that we've been talking about. But if you don't have a compass, meaning that you don't know where you're going, then what's the point in doing it? I mean, of course there's a point in doing it, but that's only going to get you to a certain level because if you're not, living your own truth if you're not aligned with your own purpose, which is completely unique to you. No, it's no one else. It's you. Uh, just on that, it's one of the um, other kinesiology practitioners I work with and she's like, she was surprised because uh, she saw one of my clients come in and she'd driven, this person had driven from four hours away to come and see me. And she was like, why did she uh, drive four hours away? And, and uh, you know, and she said, isn't there a local kinesiologist around that area? And I said, there might be, but she's not coming to see them. She's coming to see me because there's only one of me. So people are going to either resonate with me or they're not. And the people that resonate with me are going to come and see me from wherever they come. So and it's about sitting in your own valley. There's only one of you. So how do you find that purpose, you know? So you could be doing all the right things, trying to be healthy, but you're not aligned with your purpose. And I do have a few clients like this and we're trying to sort of narrow in is, where do we need to go? And people often think, think it's this external thing like a job title or something, and it may be, but it's more about a sense, a feeling of you doing um, what feels innately right to you. It's usually some sort of service capacity because I think we're all here to serve in some, way, some form or another. And it's the things that you, you know, it's the thing that you do without being paid for it that you would do without being paid for it. You just do it because it's innately you, you know what I mean? And um, aligning ourselves with that should be actually probably the, the number one thing that we do first because once we do that, then it's actually quite easy to maintain these health practices because you cannot live your truth and your purpose and perform at a high level without having 
these basic fundamental health practices supporting you. Like I did a bit of cheek, 15 minutes of Qigong before I got on this call because I know it helps. And if I didn't, I'd still be able to do it, but it wouldn't be at the level that I'm doing it now because I know it helps. If I go, do a few, go a few days without doing these things, my mind gets infected with the old stuff that used to disempower. So we have to maintain this stuff. We have to maintain it. And um, it's much easier, as you would know, if you have your purpose, which is not some t- uh, fixed thing. It's something that is evolving as you are all the time. It's always evolving with you, are, with you. And you can go in any direction that you want. You know, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm others and you're trying to make the world a better place. That, that's great, you know, and I think it's a really important message right now. And, you know, I have a question. Do you think, however, that there's some people, they're just not destined to take their own responsibility fully and, and really experience that kind of life? If you look around, there has to be, you know, there has to be that. I think statistically that's probably their journey. I'm not going to claim to know how or why that works. Is that a natural thing? You know, you could argue that maybe we've been engineered into being that way by our society, whether it's deliberate or not. Society is structured in that way 100%. Our current society is structured to have a lot more people who are just going through the motions and just just living like a kind of a pre-programmed life. Um, And I feel, this is the thing, if that person wants to do that, great, fine. If they're happy with that, fine. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to live their truth or live their purpose. I just think it's it's a lot easier to implement these things. And I also have this belief that we're here to share. I do truly believe that. But then what would happen if, you know, what about all the people who do all those important jobs or the cleaning jobs and, you know, picking up rubbish and all that sort of stuff? Like what would the world be like without them? So I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. So um, there's always this yin-yang polarity balance in the universe. So we do need to have um, the opposites to understand where we're at as well. Otherwise, we don't have a reference point. I love what you're saying. I, I you know, I've talked about purpose a lot on, on this podcast and there's something on a cellular level that we can all connect with that we know we need some sort of focus, you know, some sort of driving force. And, you know, I think what I'm really getting from what you're saying is what sits above all that, <laughs> it's love, right? It's it's, it's love and it's, and it's being who we are and letting our light shine, right? Mm. Healing these traumas, doing this work because no matter who we are, that light is within us. It's just piled traumas on traumas on traumas on top of that. As we start to heal some of that, this light gets to shine brighter and brighter. And, you know, I, I always talk about why I love fasting so much because you, you, you clear that stuff away and then you, you, you find that white light is there, you know, and you really realize we're all actually just encompassing in love. And when you're in that state, fear does not exist, right? You cannot be fearful and be loving at the same time. And when you're in that state of, of love and giving, that's when you're in your, your, your true power and that's when you're truly present too and that's when you're truly fucking mm. living life, you know, and making decisions from that, that point within us which is just 
absolutely aligned with who we are as a person, our uniqueness, our beauty, our, our humility, our specialness. Um, mm. and, and when you act from that place, you know, you start to heal things. You start to deal with the trauma from when you got yelled at, you know, or when the door got slammed or whatever it is. And at the moment, there's this big division in the world of, of love and fear and, and right and wrong and get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine or I believe this or I believe that. And yeah. um, it's really been driven into us at the moment. And it's a real, um, it's a real challenge. And that's why I, I, I love your message. It's such a time to remind ourselves that we can take responsibility for our life. We always mm. have a choice to do that. Always. We can always. And, and to the point of, you know, even when things happen to us that, you know, really you could easily say would, had nothing to do with us, we can still take responsibility for those moments and say, what could I have done differently? How could I have, you know, treated that situation differently? How could I react to that situation differently? Um, mm. Because ultimately we can't, there's so much we can't control, but we can control how we react to what happens to us in this life. And um, so yeah. it's, it's a time to really remind ourselves of our power and, and who we are. And that's why I'm a big fan of, of contemplation too and, and, and just sitting and why I love fasting because you're forced to sit and do nothing and just remind yourself of like, who am I? What am I doing here? You know, what, what do I want? What do I want to be doing? What do I want to be feeling? Especially like for the feminine, like how do I want to be loved? How do I love myself? How do I continually remind myself of that? Having that time and that silence, it's, it's really critical to coming back to what you were saying, to remind ourselves of that, that inner power that perhaps some of us are losing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, that was great words you said there, mate. It's really good. Um, yeah, I remember I had a similar experience. Like I'd like to do a fast like you do one day eventually. I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. Um, Come on up, mate. But I remember having a similar experience on like Vipassana meditation, which is a 10-day silent meditation people go oh it's a hard not to speak that's the easiest part it's being with yourself you don't have a phone you don't have access to anything you have two meals a day it's just you and your thoughts and you're just sitting and you're meditating 10 hours a day sometimes more and uh yeah it's full on it's absolutely it's so full on uh but it's amazing as well and all it's just like a clearing away all this sort of stuff and and in itself it's a it's a slower and more painful way of doing what I do um, and definitely um, a, a very self-empowering way of doing that because you're, you're doing it yourself. You're just sitting with yourself and learning how to remain equanimous with the experience around you. And as that is happening, then things are just dropping away, but then there's also stuff that's coming up for you to look at and then observe and just let it pass through. Like some funny things happened on that actually. Like I remember it was my first one and you know your, 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 your narrator voice, like your, your kind of the voice that you're thinking? Mine turned out to be at some stage after I'd cleared through a, a bunch of layers on day of three, four, it's like a Northern English type accent. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was bizarre. And uh, so maybe there's some lineage there. I don't know what, how, what that was about. I thought it was quite funny. I was having a little laugh to myself. That's hilarious. But I remember the first one I finished with that and my mind felt so switched on so integrated and I would look at, I'd pick a book up and I'd look at that book and literally the words felt like they were flying into my brain because I just created a lot more space, like you said, so much space it's, it, going back into this yin state, just getting out of the way of all the noise. There's so much noise, 
so much noise. So how can you connect with that? And that's what I'm saying is where society has engineered us into this state, the, the iPhone, which is a great invention, by the way, but you've got to know how to use something with that much power. That's actually a really valid point. You know, it is, they are so powerful and we're not taught how to harness it properly. You know, one thing I started doing after um, last fast, this fast as well, is I'm thinking about things, oh, I'll do that when I'm on my phone, I'll do that when I'm on my phone. So now I'm trying to get in the habit of when I go on my phone, making a list of what I need to do. Like the first thing I go into my notes, what do I actually need to do on my phone right now? And then just doing those things and then putting it down. That's really good. Using it as a tool, right? Because that's what it is. That's what they could be, right? Mm. Just a tool to do incredible things. Okay, I need to do some internet banking. Uh, I want to search that thing on Instagram, embarrassingly. I want to do this. <laughs> I want to do that. You know, I have yeah. to read that email. I have to, cool. All right, I've got a list. I have to text mum or whatever. And then just doing that and then putting it down and, and not getting sucked into the notifications here or the red dots there and all that stuff. Um, yeah. Look, that, 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 that takes a, a certain level of discipline, and, but it brings us back to the uh, thing about choice is that, look, you could, you know, just look at your phone and watch movies for the rest of your life, but it's not going to be the best use of your time, you know. Like you can choose what to do with it and each choice, it impacts your life differently. So people can choose to suffer. Well, no, here's the thing. We're bringing neurology. They might not be able to choose not to suffer at that point because then we have to do some work, whether it's meditation, retreats, fasting, coming to see me for a few sessions, um, learning to meditate, getting those, those limbic amygdaloid circuits to stop telling you that you're under threat. And then we can, from that point onwards, start to make uh, better choices. So that is a key point where people are in this victim mode. So I empathise with them a lot. Not victim, they're, they're suffering and they're in fear. So I don't look down on any individual that has that because they're not really under their own control. This is where the choice thing come, becomes um, a little bit of an interesting one. So if I, someone comes in and they're really stressed and traumatised, I'm not going to say in this setting now that I might need to spend a few sessions just literally down-regulating the nervous system. You know, sometimes it can take five to ten sessions of just that, not even saying much to them, just sort of flicking switches in their nervous system and just getting them into this balance. And then all of a sudden they're starting to be able to sit in themselves a bit more and they're able to think about the situation and what's happening and then, and then make better choices or life-affirmative choices for themselves. So, yeah, it's complex. The world is in trauma. It always has been. We're loaded up with traumas in before we start our life. We, you know, we have traumas in our genes, you know, we still need to clear some of that stuff. And this is where, you know, generational psychotherapy work is, is really good too. So I've had to work through stuff from my family and there's still stuff that comes up with that. And, you know, my partner does as well. And we try and if we can, and you can't always do it because sometimes you get stuck in your own patterns that aren't even yours, that you've just modelled off the people around you and it's not their fault. You're just modelling because that's what the nervous system does. It models whoever's around them to keep them safe. And then so it's a process. But I feel like we're in a very interesting time in history where there is a bit of a divide going on and it's a big exercise in letting go, I think. You know, if someone wants to do that, then that's their choice. That is fine. Let them do what they need to do. So you still do that in love and it's very hard sometimes, um, but it's a fact of it's probably always been around, but it's very magnified right now. Yeah, absolutely. 
If you could um, just talk a little bit more about where people can find you, how they can work with you and some things you're working on. Yeah, so I use Instagram as my primary sort of communication channel. My business name is Functional Neuro Health. I post as much as I can there. There's a combination of videos, lots of posts. I've got a link tree there which has links to a lot of the other videos I have, uh, some are free. I have done some webinars as well which are going to be on my back end of my site. So when that's all up, that'll be all on the, um, the link tree there. Um, planning um, to do some education later in the year on sort of this mind-body mastery, so looking more into this, how, the, how our uh, psychology fits into our physiology uh, some common patterns and then how to start clearing through that yourself and then um, aligning more towards your ideal, your, your, your highest expression. Um, because I just think right now in the world it's very critical um, because it will allow us to feel not so threatened and to be able to navigate what none of us really know is, is coming ahead. Like you said, if you're in yourself and you're balanced as much as you can be, then not knowing is actually part of the fun. Right? Yeah. It's, I don't like knowing exactly what's going on. Obviously, it's more fun. It's a bit of a roller coaster. How are you going to adapt? What are you going to do? You know, you then you have to use all your resources. So that's why I sort of wanted to go into that area. The stuff I used to teach as well. But yeah, that's the main way to contact me. You can message me through the app or whatever. And then I have a website, Functional Neuro Health, as well. And um, there's messaging functions on that on that website as well. But that's all going to be revamped before September, October. So yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. You also just touched on the roller coaster there and it's like everything that happens in life is a gift, right? And mm. so it's just being resourceful and appreciating the moments whether they're hard or great, you know, love that. Um, you touched on that you've done a couple uh, Vipassana uh, retreats. How did they go and did anything kind of crazy happen other than realizing you've got some like weird English narrator in your brain? <laughs> the first one, I remember there's about four days in you've got to sit for basically two hours. And me being a perfectionist, you know, ex-soldier, all that sort of stuff, I always try to do things, you know, as pure as I'm a purist, right? So it's not always the best thing. But we're sitting for two hours basically and I was literally in my own mind, like my legs were dying, I was in so much pain. I still hadn't got the concept of what it was. And I just remember (laughs) it was like anger, like, oh, I'm in so much pain. And then I was just like in my mind just went, ah, fuck it. And I just let go. And as that happened, I literally felt all the molecules in my body just turn, just just go into vibration. And I was sitting in a room full of 200 people and I couldn't feel myself. And I knew I was there, but I was part of, I don't know, it's just that, you can't really describe it, but it's, I just felt connected. And then we had to speak. And I remember he was like, okay, so we've got to say something. He's like, no, now you need to ask me to do this. And I was like, how am I going to speak? I don't even know where my mouth is. And then so I spoke and um, as soon as I spoke, I started to come back into the body and it was like, oh, the pain came back, so much pain. But because I'd had that such an amazing experience, I then craved it for two days afterwards. Because I was craving it, those two days afterwards were sheer pain. And I went to the teacher and I said, oh, this happened and I feel sore. And he's like, he just said really sort of with a lot of wisdom, he's like, hmm. Yeah, you're craving that experience. Release attachment. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so then it took me another few days of just being able to be equanimous with pain and pleasure and not getting attached to either. And it was amazing. 
And then the last few days were just just like complete present with the moment. There was no association. This is good. This is bad. It's just it just is. It's just sensation, raw information, like we talked about at the beginning. It's just raw information. You can decide how you react to that raw, raw information if you train your mind enough, um, and you get into that state. So then, by the end of it, we're just buzzing, you know. And and it's, when we finish, we're all talking. Uh, we haven't talked for ten days, and we're just talking about all this amazing stuff. And and then you go out in the outside world, and because you've got such a glow, people just attracted to you. And then you've got to do the work and maintain that, which, you know, I do different style of meditation now and it has a similar effect, but um, really interesting experience. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Mate, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. We covered a lot. You're an absolute wealth of knowledge. I'm so, so grateful for your time. I know you're super, super busy at the moment. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And looking forward to hopefully having you on again soon. You're doing amazing stuff, mate. Thank you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. 